KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres wasn't pulling any punches at the start of a recent global climate conference. We are on a highway to climate hell with our foot still on the accelerator. Findings from the World Wildlife Fund's new 2022 Living Planet report paint a dire picture as well, calling for action to address what it calls a double interlinked emergency of climate change and the loss of biodiversity. If you're pulling that much biomass out of the natural system, we're going to see big disruptions in the way ecosystems function. WWF Chief Global Scientist Rebecca Shaw was an advisor and reviewer for this year's Living Planet Report, but she doesn't think it's all doom and gloom, especially with another major global climate summit on the horizon in December in Montreal. It's in a very important meeting because it's where the data comes together. They'll use the Living Planet Report to ensure that populations of wildlife can thrive into the future for future generations. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In Depth, we take a closer look at the WWF's Living Planet Report. How close are we to a tipping point, and are there any small steps we can do in our everyday lives to address such a massive, overwhelming issue? Before we kind of dig into the findings and the numbers, just kind of explain to people what the Living Planet Report is all about and, and kind of how it works. Yeah, the Living Planet Report is a report that comes out every two years. The World Wildlife Fund puts it, pulls it together. And its main feature is that we track populations of animals, marine systems from land systems and from freshwater systems to see how they are responding to pressures in their environment. So this includes mammals and birds and fish and reptiles and amphibians, 32,000 populations represented in five over 5,000 species. And we look to see how they're responding. And the findings are pretty grim. The key findings reveal that an average of 69% decrease in these monitored population between 1970 and 2018. So things are definitely moving in the wrong direction when it comes to wildlife populations around the globe. I mean, you see that top line number and it, it, it almost you know, makes your jaw drop. Is this a steady decline? Do we see things hold serve and then a big drop off at one point and then it holds serves and another big drop off or does it depend on the species? It depends on the species and the populations and the locations and the type of ecosystem it is. So we see the largest declines in freshwater ecosystems around the globe. 83% decline in freshwater populations. So this means fish and other species that live in rivers, lakes, and streams. It's really different in different parts of the world. So we see the sharpest declines, 94% decline in population abundance in Latin America, as opposed to a 20% decline in uh, North America. So really, really different according to species, according to the population of those species, and in different regions of the world. You talk about all these species and all the the tracking. How are these tracked? Do you you take data from different places that focus specifically on on certain types of animals or certain types of species or a certain part of the world? It just seems like such an overwhelming number. How is it all tracked? 
Yeah, uh, we work with scientists around the globe who are specialists in these different species and these populations of species. And we collect the data from our partner scientists around the globe. So we don't do all the data collection ourselves, and we rely on experts from all over the planet who diligently are documenting the changes in relative abundance of different populations of species. You mentioned earlier, you know, some of the alarming things, the numbers you see in Latin America as opposed to North America. What are some other real trouble spots on the globe where you see biodiversity really going by the wayside? Where should we be the most alarmed? Well, across the board, we see the largest declines in the tropics, tropical marine systems, tropical forests. And this is largely due to habitat destruction and over-harvesting. And and this is really concerning because because the tropics are so species-rich. We have highest species diversity there. And if you're losing populations of single species, it means that the ecosystems itself that we really depend on will begin to not be able to serve their function, whether that function is cleaning the air, cleaning the water, producing a regular weather cycle, producing food, say fish or other types of food that we get from healthy ecosystems, or I think even more importantly, sequestering carbon, pulling carbon dioxide out of the air and storing it below ground, which is one of those vital services healthy functioning ecosystems provide to us, which actually also help us fight climate change. So lots of things that we depend on these ecosystems to do, and lots of those those functions are beginning are being degraded by the loss in these populations of wildlife. Specifically in North America, are there giant red flags in North America you can share with us? Yeah, you know, we we and our partners monitor 925 populations in North America and we saw a 20 percent decline in 19, between 1970 and 2018. And and the kinds of uh, species decline we are seeing or population declines that we're seeing that are really concerning are some of those those populations of species that really underpin parts of our economy regionally. So depletions of salmon in Washington state and Alaska, those economies are very dependent on those salmon runs and have been declining for years, largely because of diversions of freshwater and damming of freshwater, but also because of pollution and overharvesting. The American bumblebee has almost completely disappeared from parts of our country. And of course, everybody knows about the, the the sad story about the monarch butterfly numbers, which are declining rapidly. Lastly, I'll say grassland birds, meadowlarks, and others that we're so used to seeing in some of the grasslands in the continental U.S. have also declined. And so it's across the board, and we can all see it in our backyards, actually. I mean, When I was a child, I used to go out and be able to capture monarch butterflies or capture lightning bugs or see these birds as they migrate. And really, the numbers have really gone down in all these different species. And so the biomass is really declining. The function that these species play in, in creating a natural world that supports human health and well-being really, really declining. 
overall, are we talking climate change, humans developing more and more land? Are those your top two things that are leading to this decline? Are there other things that factor in? Right now, the biggest drivers of change thus far in the data sets that we've seen have been the loss of nature from habitat destruction and over harvesting. So the the tropical deforestation has been for increasing the production of food has been a really, really big driver of change, but also overfishing and overhunting and and so on are key threats in certain areas. Climate change is actually contributing a greater share of the threat to nature loss year after year as it intensifies. And we're beginning to see that as we have very, very intense extreme events, say like the fires in Australia, which wiped out uh, multiple populations of koalas, or say some of the, the big flooding events that are wiping out populations of fish that people depend on. So there's a really strong connection between nature loss and climate change that we need to pay attention to. It's two sides of the same coin. And a lot of the things that we need to do to address the loss of nature and the decline of these populations of vertebrates are also the very things we need to be doing to tackle climate change, or at least a big portion of the climate change problem. We've got a lot of work to do, but there's a lot of things that we can put in play that are not rocket science. They're just, there just needs to be the will for the change. I want to put a pin in that and and get back to that in a minute, but I'm curious, how much of a concern is we don't feel the loss of a certain species in a certain area? How much of that ripple effect is kind of tied in here, but also a concern to the what we're seeing, kind of the top line numbers here as well? Both. Both are really huge. The, the decline in the average abundance of these populations of animals is, it's a huge, huge loss. And you can't take out that huge amount of biomass of wildlife and not have it affect the functioning of ecosystems. It absolutely does. There's a you know a balance between predator and prey. There's a balance between the decomposers and the primary producers in the ecosystem. It's all this interdependent web. And we are only just beginning to truly understand how these ecosystems get put together to deliver the goods and services to humans and communities around the globe. But we know enough to know that if you're pulling that much biomass out of the natural system in the form of uh, animals, that we're going to see big disruptions in the way ecosystems function. And that has that has a huge impact on us. So I want to go back to, you know, talking about what to do about it. Are there things we're getting right? Are there things we've learned that as a society we've done to start to help address some of these problems? There's a couple things that are really important. Population by population, we find that conservation efforts are really important and can really work. We've seen that with species, the mountain gorillas, where the communities came together to increase the habitat, to make sure that the uh, tourists had uh, access to see the mountain gorillas 
there was opportunity for the community to benefit from that interaction. So communities targeted conservation efforts really, really matter. Besides that, really getting a handle on the way we consume both energy and food, how we produce it, how we consume it, where it's coming from, and that we don't waste it. Both are very, very important. And the last thing I'll say is that once in a decade chance where all the nations of the planet come together to set targets, to make commitments, and to commit finances to address the loss of nature. And that's happening in December of this year in Montreal. It's in a very important meeting because it's where the data comes together. They'll use the Living Planet Report as part of that to really define what do we need to do where to reverse the loss of nature, to ensure that we have a stable climate, to ensure that populations of wildlife can thrive into the future for future generations. We need to take a break. We will have more with Rebecca Shaw right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. You got to understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavin story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back on KW News Radio in depth, continuing our conversation with Rebecca Shaw. From an individual standpoint, I think people can hear these things and they want to help, but frankly, it just feels overwhelming. What can an individual do that wants to do the right thing? but feels like maybe they, they can't make a dent. What's something that a, a single person can do to, to make a difference in this fight? Well, of course, there's the choices that you make with respect to energy use and food consumption. But don't, don't underestimate how much a community who takes action to protect a particular animal in their backyard or a population of trees in their, in, in their community, how much that matters. It really, really matters. Besides that, because food production, the way we produce, consume, and waste food drives so much decline in wildlife populations from because of the deforestation, for the use of water in agriculture, and it also creates greenhouse gas emissions. The way you choose to consume food, where that food comes from, and not wasting it is really important. So making sure that as individuals, that we are choosing foods that are not contributing to tropical deforestation or the over-harvesting of of fish populations in the ocean. The second thing is making sure that we think about our food choices and their impact on the planet. So animal protein takes a lot more resources to produce per calorie than does plant protein. So if you could shift one or two meals from animal protein to plant protein every single week, not saying don't stop eating meat because you need it for, lots of people need it for their health and for nutrition. But if we could shift to plant protein twice a week or three times a week, that would really help. It takes the pressure off the resources of the planet. The the third thing is, don't waste food. Uh, we waste 40% of all food that's produced 
and grown or harvested. And 40% think of the waste involved in that, all the tropics that are deforested to produce that food only to go to nothing, the water that it takes to to, uh, produce all that food. And if you waste it, it means you're contributing to the problem without any benefit. So really be aware of where your food comes from. Try to eat foods that are lighter on the planet overall, and then make sure you don't waste food. If you buy it, you make sure you consume it and make sure you don't waste it. Something like this, it seems like it can go from alarming with what we've talked about to catastrophic pretty quickly. How close are we to, you know, where all of a sudden you're not going to be able to get X anymore or this population's going to have to move? Like we're already seeing with climate change, but how close are we really to catastrophic situations that are going to affect populations in a way they can't ignore? When we talk about both climate and talk about nature, we talk about tipping points. And tipping points are when, you know, the ecosystem or the climate is resilient, resilient, resilient to hit a point and it just all of a sudden shifts into a whole new state. You don't get what you depend on from that system anymore. Say the climate starts breaking down and you have more and more extreme events, you have more wildfires, you have more very, very hot days, you have more droughts on the nature side, you're not, you lose soil fertility, it makes it very difficult to to grow food, or you lose the animals that carry the seeds around or that pollinate our crops, so on. So they're tipping points. And these tipping points are really hard to predict. One thing that's really cool about the Living Planet Report and the Living Planet Index that follows populations is that it's an early warning indicator. This we are not this is not an indicator that says these species are about to go extinct. It's an indicator that says these populations of species are no longer able to provide the function in the ecosystem that keeps the ecosystem healthy, that keeps humans healthy. And so it's it means that we're getting enough of an indicator early on that we can do something about it. But we really do need to act and we need to act within this decade. That's why this meeting coming up in December is so, so important. And it's why we really need to think as individuals about the changes we make in the way we consume energy and and food to be a part of the solution as opposed to a further part of that decline. I would hate it if I came back to you in two years from now and told you we are still seeing declines in in animal populations world, worldwide. We have all the information we need to do something about it. And it's, and it's not that painful to do it. Is there anything encouraging in the Living Planet Report? Are there things to give people some hope on this front? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say 20 years ago, when I really started working on the, on the dual problem of nature loss and climate change, there weren't that many of us talking about it. And now you can't open a newspaper or go online and open the social media platform and not have stories about it. So more and more people are thinking about it. More and more people are coming into the workforce to find solutions to do it. So I love having that kind of company. That's really cool. The other thing is we have seen remarkable shifts, say the mountain gorilla in Virunga Mountains, Along the northern border of Rwanda, Democratic Republic of Congo, and Uganda, these populations of mountain gorillas have increased from 480 individuals to 604. And that's because of the community came together to do 
collaborative conservation in the countries to increase the population by over 125% in just 10 years. Lots of good things can happen. The same thing happened with loggerhead turtles on the coast of Cyprus. We can make a difference. We've done it over and over again, population by population, ecosystem by ecosystem, and then the climate as a whole. We know exactly what to do and we just need to. And if your listeners are really wanting to be a geek like me and dig into the information, they can do so at wwf.earth backslash LPR 2022. That's the Living Planet Report 2022. And there's lots of good information, not just about the problems, but also about the solutions. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.